0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of As Some of You Once Were with me, Trevor Briarly, pastor of Round Oak Baptist Church in Corbin, Virginia. Again, I'd like to welcome everybody here as we continue our study through the book of Romans, and we're going to get right into this, so I'm just going to say this, if you have your Bibles handy, and I hope that you do, start with me turning to the book of Romans. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 8 is going to be what we're looking at this morning. But again, as we get started here, um, last week we took a little bit of a break looking at some of the common questions and maybe a general overview of what we've looked at so far. And we're going to jump right back into it because it's a good place as we start a new chapter. But again, we're going to be looking there. And as we look at this, as we start to get into this, I want to say this. Um, We're starting to turn a little bit of a page here in Romans. Because if you've ever went through Romans, if you've ever read this book and studied it at all, you know that Paul is setting this whole thing up on purpose. This whole thing is being written out for a very specific reason. And he does this for a reason because he touches on really every basis. And he really hits us where we stand. And if you remember as we were closing up the last session, as we looked at chapter two, we looked at what it meant to be a godly person, to be a follower of God, not merely on the outside, but more importantly, on the inside. Having that change of heart to be made new, not trying our best, not earning it somehow, but being changed, being made new being made new by the Holy Spirit. So again, that's where, we, that's where we pick up here today. Looking at the change that's happened. We've looked at all this different stuff, and, and we're, again, we're going to start to see a difference. A little bit of a change happening here in the book of Romans before. Because again, realistically, as we look at Romans, it's, it's how terrible we are, how much we need Jesus over and over again. And he drives that point home again for a very specific reason. But again, Paul lets us know more what's going on here as he's being inspired by the Holy Spirit. So again, we are in verse 1 through 8 of chapter 3. Read with me and follow along as I read aloud. So what advantage does, did you have? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Considerable in every way. First, they were entrusted with the very words of God. What then? If some were unfaithful, will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Absolutely not. Let God be true, even though everyone is a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and triumph when you judge. But if our unrighteousness highlights God's righteousness, what are we to say? I am using a human argument. Is God unrighteous to inflict wrath? Absolutely not. Otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if by my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, just as some people slanderously claim we say, let us do what is evil so that good may come? Their condemnation is deserved. So as we start here, we'll look this up and we're going to look at verse one and two. And I set this up like this because I think we tend to forget some things. I like to point this out again, right at the beginning. Time did not start 2000 years ago. We have to realize that not only was this written 2000 years ago, but this was not the very first thing that was ever written either. And we try to get our heads around this sometime and it's hard because we are so displaced. I mean, realistically, just from when Paul was writing this, it has been nearly 2,000 years. The whole of the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, they weren't written at the same time. So, he asked the question, what is the advantage of this? Was there any kind of benefit to being a Jew? And Paul answers this in the positive. Is, is considerable in every way. There were the forerunners to what we do today. Those who come before us. There were people that were used to relay what God has said. And one thing I want you to think about in regards to all this, that there are pastors today that say they want to unhitch from the Old Testament. That it's not relevant. That it's not needed. But we need to know this. Over the whole of the Bible, 66 books, 40 authors, roughly 1,600 years, do you know what happens? Everything that we read, every word, every time we turn the page, it is more and more so pointing to Jesus Christ. Everything that happens before is pointing to. Everything that happens after is pointing back to. Jesus Christ." So just as Paul is saying here, what benefit is it? The idea and the fact that the Jew had this, that they had and were given the Word of God, that they were able to learn and grow up with it, that they were able to study it, would have been an incredible benefit. It would have been outstandingly big for them, because they would have known and seen the prophecies, what was going to come, that the Christ, the Messiah, was on the way. Let's keep going, though. Verse 3 and 4 says this, What then? If some were unfaithful, would their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Absolutely not. Let God be true, even though everyone is a liar. As it is written, That you may be justified in your words and triumph when you judge. This is a part that we are able to relate to today. And I do think that we can all relate, even on some of us a considerable level. But first, Paul is talking about some Jews. There were some, and some could be a lot. Some could be quite quite a many. Some could be few. But it says if some were unfaithful, could be any number. But again, we'll just use the word, as Paul does, some. But there were some that were not faithful. There were some that went the opposite way. Some that wanted to change the belief systems, to change the structures of what they were doing. Some who say one thing and then do the opposite. So Paul here brilliantly does something. And I do love this. We see him do this often in his writings. But he brilliantly, he asks a question. And he asks it based on what he knows. He asks a question that he knows people would ask. He preemptively asks this so that he can just give the answer. Because again, he knows people are going to ask it. And he wants to jump ahead and say, hey, we're going to nail this. We're going to nip this in the bud right now. But again, verse 3 says that, what then if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? He asks that question, and then immediately in verse 4, he answers it. And in this, I wanted to say two things. First, just a minute ago, I said that we can relate to this. And we can, in a few ways. We all know someone who we can put in this category. It's not a good thing, but we do. There has even been times where we ourselves have been in this category. We may have been looked at as the unfaithful person, part of that sum that were unfaithful. Also we let others dictate our faith. We let others into, and then manipulate our thinking. Have you ever heard this? I want you to think about this question for a second. I'm not a Christian because I was treated bad by someone. And I'll say this: I don't know we wo- worship people. I didn't know we do. That. I didn't know we did that. As followers of Jesus, we don't typically worship people. If we have a faith system, realistically any kind of faith system, and we don't follow it because of other people, at the very basis of it all, we were more worshiping that person than we ever did God. So does others... Unfaithfulness nullify God? Is any other human on the planet able to change the dictates of God? Or discredit God in any way? And Paul answers it right here because those were the questions that were coming up. He says, absolutely not. God is faithful through the ages. And we see that in in its fulfillment, in its completeness, in Jesus Christ. But then we can back up again and look at another question. Something that we can relate to today. Is if maybe someone's been burnt by the church, or someone upset them before, so now they're upset. And that doesn't nullify God. Well, let's take it a step further. What about the popular ones? Those who have a huge platform, reaching millions of people. A few people might have come to your mind. Some celebrity-style pastors, teachers. Even them, with their abundance of followers on social media, their limitless reach, are they able to discredit or nullify God's faithfulness? Does their heretical teachings do this? Absolutely not. If we think this, then we have an obvious problem. We are way too focused even idolizing another person. We let the perceived faith The no faith, or the actual faith, of others influence far too many of the aspects of our lives. Know this, we are called to be more like Jesus. We are not called, in any sense of the word, to be more like other Christians. One of many reasons why we are to read and study the Word for ourselves, to get to know God better, to have a more intimate walk with Christ, is so that we will not fall into the traps when they are set. So that we're able to give an answer for the hope that we have. So that we don't just go along with anything that we hear, anything from anyone. That sounds like it could possibly be right. Because again as we see throughout. Especially this first section of Romans. It is a very slippery slope. Others unfaithfulness does not. Cannot. Will not. Nullify God. And if it did we would be in big trouble. First, if that was even possible, then whoever was nullified, tamed, was not God to begin with. We need to think about such things. The rationality of how this would work should be enough for us to see that it's not possible. And second, think about this. There is somewhere in the vicinity of 25,000, yes, 25,000 different denominations and sects in Christendom. That is, in essence, 25,000 different interpretations of the Bible. I will say this, and I want you to hear me clearly as I say this. All of them, every single one, can all be wrong. But they cannot all be right. And that is why it's important to study, to engage, to engage in debate, to talk, to discuss with others. Just because someone, you, me, anyone, sincerely believes in something, you are even very passionate about it. does not make it true. If it is not true, then it is not true no matter who believes it. No matter how much we may want it to be true. If it's not true, it is simply not true. But, continuing here, verses 5-8. through eight. As we look at this, I want to start off with this. This is a quote from R.C. Sproul says this, Suppose ten people sin, and they sin equally. Suppose God punishes five of them, and is merciful to the other five. Is this injustice? No. In this situation, five people get justice, and five people get mercy. No one gets injustice. God is not obligated to treat all people equally. We must always remember that mercy is always voluntary. God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. We tend to get caught up in this kind of thinking. We get caught in the trap of looking at this in a very wrong way. Almost to the point that God owes us something. That we're able to Dictate what should or should not be. But what always needs to be at the forefront of our minds, whenever we think in a theological manner at all, when we are looking at the Word of God, seeking Him in His direction, what we have to always know is that God is perfect. We are not. God is perfect. He is the ultimate and perfect judge. There is no sin. There is no flaw in him whatsoever. And kind of what this passage here is telling us as we look at 5 through 8. We go down a path far too often that is flat out incorrect. Because what we do is we try to make our sin okay. But no matter how hard we try, We cannot justify our sin. Though we really want to. Now we can in our own heads. We can by the way we think. But that would be of no good for us. It will not help us. That would be a detriment to our eternity. When we think in those kind of ways... We only hurt ourselves. But we do. We try to make it fine. We try to make it okay. We say things like. But I sinned so that someone could do something. So I send because someone maybe wouldn't get hurt. Or to keep someone from something. Etc. Because as people, as humans We are top notch, very good at coming up with excuses. But no matter the excuse, how much we try to justify something, we are still sinning. We've talked about this before, but we will do almost anything to justify our sin, to somehow make it permissible. And this is important. I really want you to think about this. At the end of verse 8, Paul says this. He gives us a warning. He says, their condemnation is deserved. We don't get to make up the rules before. We can't cook or fudge the books. Just because I think something, maybe because I want something, doesn't mean that I can or should do that something. Because when I act like that, when I do those things, when any of us acts or does these things, that is me, that is us, simply telling God that He is wrong. We are saying that, God, I'm smarter than you. When we tell Him that, What we're doing is not sin. When we justify our sin, we're trying to say that God, you didn't have it quite right. We're telling God that His way, the way that He set things up, how He put everything in motion, is wrong and that we just know better. Again, it sounds foolish when you say it out loud. But this is nothing new. Again, as we look at this 2,000 years ago, this was an issue. Today, we're doing the same thing. We try to convince ourselves, we try to convince others that our sins are either good or can be good. We must stop thinking This way. Let me give you maybe a little application for this, something that we can try this week. Quite simply, when we sin, oh, and we will, but when we do, instead of making up an excuse, instead of trying to justify it, to try to make it okay, how about this? Own it. Own it. Be the man or the woman. God has called you to be. And own it. Acknowledge that, yes, I am a sinner. Repent of that sin. Ask God to forgive you. Ask the person that you have sinned against to forgive you. But understand that you have sinned. You didn't just slip up. You weren't you just telling a little white lie. You sinned. See, we don't use the word sin anymore. Because it, it means something bad. We use the word like stumble. We slip up. We mess up. We use any word except for sin. Essentially, we're trying to erase it because sin is definitive. A sin means that it went directly against God. But a slip up means I just, I didn't do something as good as I could have. As followers of Jesus, we need to understand that we are sinners and that only through Jesus Christ can we become forgiven. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to justify it. Don't try to make it okay. Take it to God and ask for forgiveness and repent. Because that is the only way. And when the power of Jesus Christ frees you, releases you from the chains, releases you from the bondage of sin, it will be the most liberating thing that you have ever experienced. And you will see how destructive sin really is in our lives. And when we start to see how dangerous, how corrupting, how destructing sin really is. We will see how much of a savior we really do need. But again, as we wrap this up here today, I want you just to remember that. To think about that. Because again, as humans, we are very good at making excuses. But that is all I have today. Again, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, anything about what we've been talking about, please email me at Trevor at com. But again, until next time, take care, and may the Lord richly bless you as you fervently seek Him in all that you do.